Hello podcast listeners, and welcome to another episode of Living Well with Kathleen Saunders, your weekly podcast where we discuss the financial, physical, spiritual, and social well-being of everyday people like you and me. The information shared in this show is for general information purposes only and should not be used to make any personal changes to your lifestyle or health without consulting the appropriate financial, medical, or healthcare professionals. Sydney Shindel is a holistic nutritionist and the founder of Veritas Wellness. She's a certified nutritional practitioner and former national level synchronized swimming coach. With a decade of coaching experience in the sports realm, she's able to apply the similar approaches to motivating clients to reach their health and wellness goals. She believes that by providing the right knowledge and tools, clients are able to develop and sustain their own foundation of good health. Through her work in professional kitchens, as well as her love of travel, Sydney has a vast array of skills and knowledge about food, culinary techniques, spices, and herbs. She believes that healthy food should never be boring and is happy to share her nutritious and tasty recipes with clients. Veritas Wellness was created out of a desire to share her love for real food and a healthy, well-balanced lifestyle with local communities and businesses. She was inspired by her experiences in other countries where whole foods and natural remedies are still deeply rooted in tight-knit communities. Sydney is an active member of the New Westminster community and believes that hands-on workshops and community events are an integral part of sharing her knowledge with others. Welcome, Sydney. Thank you for being my guest today. I think today's topic is very, very appropriate with what we're dealing with in regards to the pandemic. There are so many uncertainties and unknowns from this virus, and more and more people are becoming stressed with the worry about paying bills or you know whether they're going to keep their jobs or even just simply catching the virus. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what you're going to share about tools that we can use to cope with the stress and, uh, and how we can even reduce our stress. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And in terms of today's talk, I just want to preface this by saying that the goal is not to have you never feel stressed again or completely eliminate or kind of get rid of anxiety if that's something that you experience. The goal is just to simply have you understand what happens when we're stressed. So we're going to go over the stress response mm-hmm. and what is actually going on inside of your bodies when we experience any type of stressor in our daily lives. We'll also go over some definitions in terms of understanding uh, kind of homeostasis or when we're versus when we're actually in a stressful state. So you guys can pick up on this down the line. So the goal is to really have you put some tools in your toolbox, some tangible tools to help you recognize what's going on in a stressful uh, time, as well as what you can do to manage it. I'm not saying that you're going to completely be able to control it or uh, kind of never have it happen again, but just to basically have you be in your body and recognize what happens when you're stressed. So rather than going into a panic, you can then kind of see your steps out of that situation. So awesome. that's really going to be my goal for today. And I'm leaving you with some kind of day-to-day activities that you can do to help potentially reduce your stress load in general. Now, once again, I'm just going to say this right off the bat. Uh, this is not going to be for everyone. 
uh, if you have experienced uh, severe trauma in the past or if you are currently dealing with traumatic situations, uh, this will still help you understand a stress response, but that is a whole other kind of ball game because of what actually happens in the brain when you experience trauma. So just kind of saying that right off the bat that this is not going to be potentially for everyone in that realm, but it's still a very useful topic to understand what definitely. happens to human beings when we experience stress. Right, definitely. So yeah, yeah, I'm just looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Uh, what is the difference between stress and anxiety? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I will go over this as well um, later on. But what, when we talk about stress and anxiety, they're always kind of put together, they're lumped together when we say, oh, we experience stress and anxiety. But it's actually really interesting because stress itself is actually going to be uh, the response. So if we have well, the actual thing that's going on in the body, so stress is any type of physical, mental, or emotional factor that can lead to bodily or mental tension, whereas anxiety is the response to the situation. Right. So uh, the difference is that stress is a response, whereas anxiety is a reaction to the stress. Okay. I'm going to go through that in layers today. Okay, great. So, mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead, Kathy. No problem. No, I'm just leaving it to you. Go ahead and you okay. just share a little bit and then I'll interject. Perfect. Sounds good. I will mention this is my first podcast. So I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> and I'm so, happy to have I'm, you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy to have you. Yeah, because you have the world of knowledge and I'm learning as you talk too, right? I'm learning too because I keep interjecting you, which is hilarious. That's all good. Like I'm used to being in the teaching seat. So this is an interesting situation to have the back and forth. So, so I want to start you guys off with a couple of definitions to get things kind of <clears throat> settled before we get into the nitty-gritty of this. And this happens for all human beings when it comes to an idea of homeostasis. And I love talking about this. If you guys could see me visually right now, I would be pretending to be dancing on a seesaw because that is the visual that I like to go for. So imagine being a child and imagine standing in the middle of a seesaw. And you probably all did this. It was rather dangerous, but uh, you probably would remember trying to balance and trying to find the middle ground so you could balance and keep both of the sides of that seesaw or the teeter-totter off the ground. And the same thing happens in our body all the time in various different ways. We are experiencing what we call homeostasis, the idea of balance. And we do this at multiple levels inside the human body. But the definition of homeostasis is a property of cells, tissues, and organisms that allow the maintenance and regulation of the stability and constancy needed to function properly. That's the medical definition. Now, to make that a little bit more accessible, homeostasis is a healthy state that is maintained by the constant adjustment of biochemical and physiological pathways. So your body is constantly trying to keep you in balance, be it your blood sugar, be it your temperature, be it anything else in between. All so right. there's lots of things going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And the other thing that happens is that we're not always constant, right? This is actually constantly uh, being adjusted, right? Our blood sugar goes up and down throughout the day. Uh, our temperature regulation is constantly going up and down because we are constantly kind of getting rid of things or bringing things in to keep ourselves in balance. So the same thing applies when you're thinking back to being a kid on that seesaw. You're constantly readjusting your footing and readjusting where you are in space to keep yourself in balance. It's not something that is stagnant. It's not just set. Mm. And so, mm -hmm. and so the same thing happens in humans. So we have a constant barrage of things coming in and things going out uh, that basically allow us to have to keep going back and looking at what's going on in the system and readjusting constantly to stay in that idea of homeostasis. And that term is actually called something that we begin to be allostasis. 
And allostasis is the process of achieving stability or the process of achieving homeostasis through physiological or behavioral changes. So you can give that example as a stressor comes in and our body has to readjust accordingly to keep us in um, homeostasis. So if you picture yourself on that seesaw as a kid, maybe your friend comes along and tosses you a beach ball and you have to try and catch that beach ball while also staying in balance. Maybe you're going to go off balance for a little bit. You'll find that you start to wobble from side to side. But when you catch that beach ball, you are kind of getting you're kind of getting your bearings in space and readjusting things accordingly. And then sooner or later, you will come back to homeostasis. Okay, right. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. I was going to ask you about that, but you just answered that. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And this obviously is going to differ from person to person. And I can actually leave you guys with a, I'm not sure if you provide um, visuals at all that you could attach to the bottom of the podcast, but there's a beautiful image here that I can show you guys of the allostasis and what happens when each of us responds differently to some sort of stress. And I'll go through kind of what this looks like as we go through this talk. But when we are looking at homeostasis in regards to stress, um, each person will have their own way of dealing with stress. And this comes from so many different scenarios. This comes from your genetics. This comes from your life experience. Mm -hmm. And this comes from uh, basically what you're exposed to on a regular basis. So I will kind of go through what those types of stressors are going to be. Uh, but this will also lead to adaptations later on. So allostasis can also lead to adaptations. We can change our homeostatic kind of scenario. We can change the way that we balance ourselves on a seesaw depending on what type of stressors we're constantly exposed to. So maybe someone just sticks in that kind of balancing seesaw mode for a while. Maybe someone's able to do a backflip and then land back on the, uh, the seesaw and keep going with their life, right? So you can mm -hmm. see how, depending on what stressors you've been exposed to, both good and bad, so that means, you know, happy stressors or maybe some traumatic stressors, your responses to stress and your responses to how you keep yourself in balance are going to to change and that really varies from person to person All right and this comes back actually in terms of how we respond to stress so just keep that idea in mind of that uh, kid or yourself as a kid on a seesaw and you responding to stress and what happens when someone starts throwing a beach ball at you and then a soccer ball at you and this and that. And some people will respond by getting excited and being like, awesome, so many different things coming towards me, whereas others might break down. Others might just drop everything and say, oh, I can't do this anymore. Or others might cry. Others might lash out. It really depends from person to person because of their life experience. I get that. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Sorry, though, as I was just saying, the body is amazing the way it just brings us back into homeostasis, you know? Definitely. Uh, yeah. Have to, okay. right? Without that, we, we, will, we would perish. So we do need to constantly be kind of coming back into this idea of homeostasis and adapted, adapting to our surroundings. Right? If you think about it, we have obviously adapted as a species over time, and we now have new kind of like a new baseline or a new level of, of normal. And I think that term is kind of coming up right now, being like, this is the new normal. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we all experienced that stress when, when this whole pandemic hit as well, when we were a little bit shell-shocked, probably. Yes. Some of us might have shut down and some, some of us might have, uh, you know, uh, gone into a binge washing of TV for a couple of weeks when we didn't know what was going on in the world. Maybe some people started to eat. Maybe some people uh, were crying and they didn't quite know why. Uh, all these different things can happen because that's your response to, to stress. Yeah, gotcha. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll go through that a little bit in detail as well because I'm sure that hits home for everyone and we all have our own responses. 
Yeah, great. With that being said, let's just go back into that definition of stress because this this term gets thrown around a lot. And like, oh, I'm stressed, I'm stressed out, um, you know, I don't be so stressed, all this ter- all this terminology around the term stress. But when it comes down to what stress actually is by medical definition, it's any physical, mental, or emotional factor that can cause either bodily or mental tension. And so that's like that beach ball, right? So you are in homeostasis and the stress is something coming in that is disrupting homeostasis is causing something, some sort of bodily or mental change. Now, in terms of the anxiety part, anxiety is going to be a response to your body's stress response. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because the stress itself is normal. We're constantly being exposed to stress on a daily basis. If we think about uh, the types of stress that we are exposed to, uh, and I will go through this in, in detail as well, but just to kind of get you guys going in that imagery, uh, stress could be anything from exercise to, you know, uh, maybe getting into a car accident, knock on wood, or maybe jumping out of an airplane. Those are all different types of stress, right? They're all going to change your body's uh, kind of internal workings to adapt to the fact that something is off, something is a little bit different. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. I was just going to ask you, so is all stress, is, I was just going to ask, is all stress bad then? But you've just answered no, that and said no, not necessarily. Not at mm-hmm. all. And actually, we can segue into that before we, we get into the actual stress response. Sure. And there are two different types of stress. But we always talk about stress in this negative connotation. We always say, oh, I'm so stressed out, or oh, you look so stressed, or oh, I'm, I'm so stressed that I can't do anything today. I need a glass of wine. That's kind of that, that topic that everyone comes up around saying, stress is bad. I need to alleviate my stress. But we as humans are adapted to being exposed to stress. It's how we've survived this long. Right? We were once nomadic people who had to run away from different tribes. We had to spend nights outside. Uh, we weren't quite sure what was going to happen. So we are adapted to deal with stress. Right. Now, with that being said, as I mentioned, not all stress is bad. And we constantly say stress in that kind of negative connotation, but there's two definitions of stress, or there's two different types of stress. One is good stress, mm-hmm. and one is bad stress. So the term for good stress is actually a term called eustress, E-U stress, so eustress. And this is good stress. This is the kind of stress that is good for us. It's healthy for us, like exercise, going for a run or going to the gym and putting in some work and, you know, doing some deadlifts or pull-ups. That is good stress because even though it's eliciting the same stress response, which I'm about to dive into, it's happy stress. So your reaction to that inside the body is that you know that's good stress. You feel good after, even though you are tired and even though your heart is starting to race and you are releasing the same type of stress hormones, you know it's a good stress, so it's perceived that it is a positive thing. So once that stress is over, you can go back to baseline. You can and go back to being in a restful state. Right, and it's also not a permanent stress, which would be maybe the bad stress, I'm guessing. I'm going ahead of you. A little bit. So yeah. when it comes to you stress, we tend to relax to use stress easier because we know that we're not in danger, right? The stress response is there because at the end of the day, all cells perceive stress to be the exact same thing. It's cumulative as well as the fact that our cells don't really know the difference between good stress and bad stress. Our brains do. Our brains are able to perceive, is this a safe situation? Is my brain um, safe, but I'm still, you know, going for a run or things like that and eliciting the same stress response? Then yes, that's great. Then after that run is over, we can actually come back to baseline and know that we are safe. Distress is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. 
Yeah, and with eustress, the last thing I'll mention here is that eustress is different for everybody. <laughs> so good stress uh, can is perceived, right? Good, negative, and positive is, is perception as well as past experience. So trauma will obviously come into this as well, and that once again is, is a realm that I'm currently kind of looking into and understanding. There's some great books about this, but everyone perceives eustress in different ways because of their past experience. So for me, let's say I like to skydive. I've only been a couple of times. I absolutely love it. The stress before is scary but it leaves me happy afterwards so that could be a good stress for me but if you ask someone else who's afraid of heights to jump out of an airplane it would be a very distressful right. situation they would be very stressed after and they probably would not feel that same enjoyment factor post jump okay right? i get that yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> or even simpler things like let's say you get a job promotion that could be a you stress for someone but for someone else that means more work less time uh, with their kids and that could actually be a distress. I see. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh. And now on the opposite end, it would be distress. So what we deem to be bad stress. And this is the kind that tends to hold on a little bit longer because our brains still haven't really wrapped around the fact that we are safe post-stress. So distress can look like Uh, basically negative emotions that are wrapped around the stress response. So this could be, let's say, obviously a car accident. No one's happy after something like that, um, obviously. Mm -hmm. So you're going to find that that stress lingers for longer because your brain is trying to figure out whether or not we're safe, whether or not we can relax. And the more that we're in that stressful state, which I'm about to go into the stress response, uh, we can kind of keep going in that stressful state because our body thinks that we're not safe. So this can be something obviously as drastic or dramatic or uh, as dangerous as a car accident, or this could actually be distress from mental tension. <laughs> so this could be finances, world situations like COVID right now, right. where we're kind of like not, not, we don't feel safe. We don't feel like we can relax just yet because we don't know what happens next. And our brain loves to know what happens next. Right? Our, our ego is constantly trying to figure out, are we safe? <laughs> and so in this distressful state, or that kind of bad stress, we typically can't find our footing and we don't know uh, what happens next. So we end up feeling this negative feeling around stress, which can typically make it last longer. And we kind of get those um, kind of negative association feelings with it. So like anxiety can come from that state of distress. Oh, wow. And once again, this is going to vary from person to person. So if you experience trauma, a lot of the things that people experience with you stress could actually be distressed for that person. Or if we are, let's say, someone who doesn't like jumping out of airplanes, that could be a, a distress. Or let's say you didn't want a job promotion. Or let's say um, someone's forcing you to go to a spin class and you had a really bad experience about something around that. That would be a distress. Right? It's negative stress. And you'll find that the uh, lingering effects are, are going to last. Right? That lasts for a lot longer after that stressful situation is over than that you stress. You finish up at a gym uh, at the gym session or you finish up after a run, you feel good. There's endorphins and you can relax and then go about your day and start talking to your wife and kids or your, your husband or whoever you're talking to and you know that, that you're, you're back to normal. You, you can relax. Whereas in that distress state, it lingers. And the more you talk about it or the more you try and relax, you find that you're not quite back to homeostasis, if that makes sense. Okay. So how does one get out of that distress state? Very good question. And with that in mind, uh, we kind of have to help ourselves come back to baseline. So a lot of people live uh, kind of in this in this mildly distressed state uh, for a long period of time. And 
this kind of comes into the idea that all stress is uh, cumulative. <laughs> so as we go through our day, chances are we kind of pile on stress, if that makes sense. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that you should never be stressed and go and live in a cave in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do mean that we should be able to understand how to come back to baseline as well as how to separate what's real and what's not real. So I will make sure that we cover that as well, Kathleen. Okay. Uh, but when, just to kind of give you a little tidbit about distress to kind of figure out how to come out of that, Helping yourself to ground yourself and, and realize if this is, is real or not real makes a big difference. So okay. what I mean by that is this, is this tangible? Is this something that is, is you know, um, worth my time right now and, and worth my, my mental effort and my bodily effort to be stressed? Or is this something that is, is not quite real? And this I know is probably maybe triggering someone right now saying, oh, well, that's easier said than done. And that is very true. And so let me walk you guys through the stress response first and what's actually happening so you can feel the difference in terms of being stressed and being arrested or kind of being in the, the two different states there. Uh, so we can walk you through how to identify uh, if you're in a stressful state as well as the kind of daily things that add up uh, that are all contributing to what we call like a bucket or kind of like your your personal bucket or rain barrel that can fill up with all these stressful events. So uh, long story short, uh, when it comes to distress and helping to kind of reduce your or get yourself out of a stressful state, right. uh, getting rid of excess stress or things that are uh, stressors that you don't need throughout the day is very important. So obviously things like caffeine or um you know, excess sugars, which we'll get to as well, can be a useful thing there. But also taking the time to tune in with your body and realize that, well, ask yourself some questions about, am I safe right now? Is this real? And we'll we'll go through that as well. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the stress response, now that we've talked about good stress and bad stress, Remember, they elicit the same response, even though one makes you happy and one might, keep, might make you feel anxious or angry or afraid or fearful. And the other thing that's important to note here is that both, um, both well, with stress in general can elicit what we, we talked about, anxiety, but can, it can also elicit excitement, right? So anxiety incitement, and excitement can be elicited from the same thing. If you think about it, the, the response is the same. So let me walk you guys through that. When you guys are in a rested state or that allo or the homeostatic state, right, you're balancing on that um, that seesaw, you're you're pretty relaxed. Obviously, that's that's a little bit of a, a difficult analogy because you're probably pretty concentrated. But let's say you're hanging out at home. You are on vacation or you're on vacation or you're at home and nothing nothing bothers you right now, right? You are at home, you're going to watch some TV, maybe even make some popcorn and, and hang out and you're going to pet your cat. Now, this is what we call the rest and digest state. This is going to be when you are relaxed, right? You have a very low heart rate. Your breathing rate is low. You have increased levels of salivation. You also have increased levels of digestive secretions and you have increased immune function because your body has deemed this situation to be safe. Right. Yeah. You feel relaxed. You feel calm. Yes. Yeah. And this situation is directly tied to well, basically when we have the long-term projects as our focus. So when we are relaxed, we focus on long-term projects like digestion, like immune function. So we're going to heal wounds. Uh, we're going to kind of um, basically help to kind of go through the system to see if anything is 
and mating, all these different things, as well as the fact that this is where we process our food. And, and as nutritionists, um, we, we really need to focus on this part because when we are in the state, this is when we do our digestive work. This is when we actually can pull nutrients in and break down our, our macros and, and actually allow ourselves to uh, feel or to get the nutrients that we need on a regular basis. And I'm sure we've all had the experience of eating when we're on the go or stressed or right before a workout, and it doesn't feel the same. <laughs> it feels like um, you have like a rock in your stomach as you're trying to process that bagel or, you know, right. like yes. to use the example of a bagel right before you work out and you feel a little bit off. Yeah. It's because your body is no longer in that rest and digest phase because when we are exposed to stress, be it good stress or bad stress, right? That could be a gym workout or that could be uh, you having to run to your car because you forgot something at home or, you know, somebody stole something from you or any of these kind of uh, examples, you are going to switch into a different part of your nervous system. Mm -hmm. And this part of your nervous system is going to basically help you to jump into action. And we call this fight, flight, or freeze. And in this scenario... The only thing that matters, because your brain is now sense that we are under stress, the only thing that matters is this present moment. And this comes down to us adapting as a species because once upon a time, we had to run away, right? We had to run away from neighboring tribes and tigers and whatever example you want to use. Uh, and all animals have this, all mammals have this response. I'm sure you've seen this when on National Geographic, let's say you watch a deer and a deer hears something and like a crack in the woods or, you know, sees an animal and it bolts. It runs away. And the only thing that matters to that deer is getting away from the, uh, the predator. And the same thing happens for humans. So in that moment, nothing else matters. And we have an increase of blood flow to our muscles, which means that we are going to uh, not have the same blood flow to our digestive system. We have an increase in our heart rate. We're going to be breathing heavier. Uh, we start to secrete very important stress hormones. And we have a decrease in our long-term projects like digestion and wound healing. Okay. Because in that moment, the only thing that matters is you living, you right. surviving that moment. And this is extremely important for short-term stressful situations because I'm sure we've all had the experience that even like a stressful thing, like someone drops something and all of a sudden you zone in and you're able to catch something out of the blue, even though right before that you were not able, you were just kind of hanging out. Or let's say um, you see something about to happen to a friend and you run and save the day and you're able to you know, pull them out of the way. And that's because you are then uh, activating that system, which allows you to focus in on the task. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then with that, um, this part of the nervous system that is activated is the sympathetic nervous system. And in that scenario, this is also when we are exposed to that allostatic situation. So we are now out of homeostasis because we are now being exposed to things that are causing us to uh, basically adjust and and see and kind of get the bearing in our surroundings. And we secrete a whole bunch of awesome hormones to do this. We'll increase our cortisol, we'll increase our epinephrine and adrenaline, and we're going to focus in on the task. Great for short term. We need this in order to function because at the end of the day, all cells think that all stress is the same. Yes, this was in place because we had to run away from tigers, but now this is in place, obviously, because we're still the same species. Uh, We use this for day-to-day tasks like running or getting out of a stressful situation or having to run under a burning building or all these things. Uh, But the other downside to this is that it is now translated into modern-day stressors, (laughs) modern-day stress, Hmm. like getting stuck in traffic. Right. We've all experienced road rage. Oh, yeah. That is a, a prime example of how that stress response has been adapted to kind of day to day activities. 
right? You don't need to be stressed, but you know right off the bat, and I'm sure we've all had that experience, maybe we're getting a flashback to that right now where someone cuts you off, you're about to get into an accident, you narrowly avoid it, and you're, like, you're on edge. You're very, very jumpy. You feel anxious and fearful. You're very hyper-aware. Some people might actually feel excitement in that scenario because, remember, that's all part of the stress response depending on your perceived view of what's going on. But that's the fight, flight, or freeze system put in place in our modern day and age. We don't have to run away from tigers anymore. So it's now been uh, kind of put into use for our day-to-day stressors instead. Okay. And that's short-term. That's correct. That's short-term, right? Yeah. Okay. Correct. So short-term, this is great because the other thing that happens here is that our body actually secretes insulin and insulin is a hormone that we need to help break down um, or that we can use to bring sugar into a cell and actually have energy. So we're going to have a burst of energy. We're going to have sugar coming into our cells so we can run, right? We actually have a lot of blood pumping through our legs when this happens. You'll also notice that you breathe really heavy. And this is actually because you need to run away from a tiger, but we're not running away from a tiger. We're just angry in our cars <laughs> or we are stressed because something happened or we're stressed because we don't know what's going on. And this it still elicits the same response. So we will have increased heart rate, elevated blood pressure, elevated blood sugar, and we can actually start to burn our own stores of fat and carbs to to basically obtain energy because our body thinks we need to run. So that, I just want to clarify, is that that's our fight or flight response, right? Correct. This okay. is our fight or flight response, which is also going to be elicited in that um, experience, with, which is um, allostasis. We're being exposed to something that is causing us stress. Right. right. And so we have to readjust. Okay, gotcha. So the example that we can go back to is that you on that seesaw, when someone starts throwing beach balls at you and soccer balls and tennis balls, you are now being exposed to an allostatic state where you need to readjust. And so that obviously that probably wouldn't elicit a crazy fight or flight response, but you need to zone in on that task. Sure. And you now need to catch the balls and, and bat them away or whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's going to elicit that type of response. Gotcha. Now, once again, super useful short term, right? We need this to focus in and run away from a tiger or run away from whatever stress that is. And then to use that deer example again, if you've ever watched National Geographic or seen this in nature, once that deer is safe, it does a little shake. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that, but animals who are bolting from, from predators will find a safe spot and then they'll kind of shake their whole body off. They'll check to see if everything's fine. And then you see that they relax. They go back to grazing right away. Right. Yeah, I get, I see that. Right. I, I have seen that. Yes. And so technically, we as, as mammals should do that too. We should okay. figure out that we're safe. And then we should go back to baseline. We should go back to that idea of homeostasis, feeling safe, the ability to feel pleasure, feeling calm, which is dominated by that parasympathetic nervous system. So our heart rate would go back to normal. Blood pressure would go back to normal. Blood, uh, blood sugar would go back to normal. We'll have high levels of GABA and oxytocin, and we can start to go back to resting and digesting. Mm. So we're actually doing this all day long without even really realizing it, aren't we? This balancing, mm-hmm. this homeostasis uh, fluctuating from, because I mean, Throughout the day, so much life stresses happen to us, whether we're crossing the street that we almost maybe get knocked down or by a car. There's a response there that we have of um, shock, almost nervousness of getting hit. And that's a bit of a stress factor then. But that's that's considered a bad stress. So that can be considered a bad stress for sure. And now imagine if that person who almost got hit by a car 
uh, goes about their day and let's say they have, um, let's say that that sticks along on sticks around in their mind and lingers uh, and then they get a call that something bad happened at work or, you know, they had to go home and pick up their kid because they're sick or all the different things. And it starts to kind of compile yeah. <laughs> because our brain, uh, bless our brains, uh, they like to run scenarios in particular the ego will be running all sorts of different scenarios saying, oh, that could have happened to you. Look, you could have uh, you could have been hit by that car. Oh, no, I have to go pick up uh, Tim from school because he's sick or all these different things. And it keeps going and going and going and going. Mm-hmm. Right. Sounds it starts from the time we get up till the time we go to bed. So it's just a constant. And yeah, for sure. Constant. Yeah. And it can even go into the night. Right? Wow, yeah. And, and this isn't meant to stress you out. I've given talks like this before where I get the look of, oh, well, that's so much stress. But it, it's not to say that uh, we should go live in caves and, and start, you know, living in the mountains because personally I would find that to be an extreme stress in my books. <laughs> uh, but when it comes down to this, it's the fact that we don't shake off stress and we have this perceived notion around stress. And once again, I do want to make this very clear that this is for just the average person who hasn't experienced a lot of trauma in their life because uh, traumatic in, or people who have experienced trauma, uh, their response to stress is very different. And, and we're not going to go into that in this talk, but for the average person who's just going about their day, um, this is uh, this is kind of what's going on here. So we don't have that same ability, or we do have the same ability to go back into homeostasis, but some of us have forgotten to kind of shake off that stress, like the deer, right? The deer goes and shakes it off and says, mm, well, I'm safe now. I'm still going to be vigilant and make sure that, you know, no one's going to eat me, but I'm going to go back to grazing and taking care of my, my babies. Okay. Right? But for humans, we run scenarios. And so I'm sure we've all had the experience where your brain will run scenarios after it's happened and well what happens if I would have been hit by that car or what happens if this would have happened and then uh, I would have to do this and this and this and this and this and your brain just keeps going and goes all the time is that where the anxiety could come in yes that's where the anxiety comes in right and that's typically going to be response to distress and obviously anxiety in in like PTSD patients and and things like that is very different but for the average person that's where that anxiety situation can can come into to play because we're just continuously running that scenario and your brain who whose job is to keep us safe and and, you know run all the scenarios and go through exit plan a b c d e f g uh, can kind of go overboard Mm-hmm. And the big thing here is that we haven't really allowed ourselves to dissipate that stress because of the hormones that are involved in, in the stress situation. Um, those can kind of linger in the system. So the, the deer shakes it all off. And the actual physical shaking is a useful tool uh, for, for them to kind of dissipate the stress and, and shake it all off. And I'm sure we've all had this experience or maybe maybe some of you haven't. But if you've ever gone dancing or if you've ever sang or if you've ever gone for like a run uh, and gone all out and then felt the relaxation that happens after that. Or for some people, it's swimming or you know what I mean. If you do anything like that that allows you to get into your body and shake it out and dance it out or sing it out or laugh it out or cry it out, then you can go back to baseline. You feel calm after that. Okay. You're mm-hmm. self- able to reduce your stress yourself by Definitely. doing something relaxing or yeah. just to distract you from that particular situation. And not even a distraction. It's actually just kind of uh, running running through like whatever is left over from that situation, okay. be it emotions or be it kind of the whatever is left in the system hormone-wise to kind of just, just let it go. Let it go. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. You know, Sydney, I'm not sure if you're going to uh, talk on this, but I've just bring it up. I'm not sure if it's coming up soon. Are there any mm-hmm. foods that trigger stress? Oh, definitely. And I'm about to go through that as well okay. I'll wait. <laughs> uh, in terms of identifying your personal stressors because everyone has their own. <laughs> okay. All right. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and so with that in mind, actually, just to kind of come back to, to why we continuously kind of stay in stressful states. And once again, it's not a bad thing. We should be exposing ourselves to stress on a regular basis. Uh, obviously, we'll have different exposures that we are kind of coming to. But when it comes down to kind of why we end up being in this hypervigilant state and being a little bit more stressed than we might want to be, it comes down to the fact that, one, we kind of don't allow ourselves to go back to baseline because we don't spend a lot of time with ourselves and in our own bodies. We work with a lot of people who don't really feel like they're in their body or even know what that means uh, because we're constantly thinking and being in our brain all the time or vegging out in front of the TV or not really just listening to our own body's signals. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that happens with this is just the answer to your question there, Kathleen, is that... Anything that's going to change our system, right? Anything that's going to kind of throw off homeostasis or cause some sort of uh, stress to the system, stress in its actual medical term, uh, is going to allow your body to try and readjust accordingly. And we're constantly going to be hit by a barrage of these things. And they can be divided into three categories, environmental, physical, and uh, psychological. Okay. So if we're looking at the environmental stressors, each one of us is going to have different stressors that we are exposed to, as well as different um, kind of levels of response, depending on our experience. Now, when we look at environmental exposure, it could be things like chemicals, right? chemicals in our food, as well as chemicals in our work environment, if you're being exposed to chemicals, because our body has to do something with those. So that can cause um, some sort of stress. We also, as humans, need light. So the environmental factor of light and lack of light is very important. So overexposure to overhead lights can actually be part of your stressor or part of a a stress, uh, kind of putting stresses in your bucket. Lack of light, if you live in a dark basement suite or uh, if you have an office that has no windows, things like that. Noises. Mm -hmm. Yeah, noises as well. I'm sure we've all probably had the experience of there's background noise, there's background noise, and there's background noise, and then all of a sudden it stops, and then you feel this kind of sense of, of calm and serenity. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's because that is a type of stress. We have to constantly be filtering it out and figuring out what's going on, and when it stops, you'll notice that you feel different. The same thing when people go forest bathing or they go out on the middle of a lake, and it's dead quiet, and then all of a sudden you, you notice you feel a sense of calm around that right. uh, because that is a type of stress. Or when you have the AC running and then it shuts off yes. and then you have that. Oh my silence. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one or like a fan or yeah. little things like that. And it's, it's just kind of white noise or, or gray noise or different colors of noise, depending on, on the quality of that okay. uh, sound. Okay. But sometimes it can add up. And once again, this doesn't mean that you need to go meditate in a cave in the Himalayas forever, because that's not going to be ideal for most people. It's just being mindful of if you are in a very stressful situation, or if you're feeling stressed on a regular basis and feel that level of anxiety, have a look at some of these stressors and see what might, you might be able to drop, right? What you might be able to let go of for now that is no longer serving you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those were environmental. We can also go into uh, physical and psychological. Now, physical stressors are things like exercise. And that's good. We can see that good amounts of exercise are healthy for us. We know the effects of positive effects of movement, be that through spin class or deadlifting or running or swimming or dancing or whatever it is. We know that we need to move on a regular basis. Now, two sides to every coin, uh, we can over-exercise. And if we are over-exercising, then we can find that we aren't able to get back to baseline in the same way and allow for healing. Because remember, and this is to all my uh, training friends out there, 
exercise is a stress. And to actually recover and see the benefits of exercise, uh, we do need to give time between each exercise session. Right. And I've had a lot of clients in the past who will work out five to six to seven days a week and wondering why they're not getting their goals in terms of building muscle or losing weight. It's because if you go back to the actual stress response of what's going on when you exercise, you're seeing spikes in cortisol, you're seeing spikes in blood sugar, all those different things, as well as lowered immune response. So you do actually need to take time in between your workouts to come back to baseline and to rest and allow the body to heal because those over-exercising situations pulls that you stress of exercise into a distress kind of state. Right. Defeating mm -hmm. the purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And a lot of people don't recognize that because they feel like they have to be in the gym every single day or running every single day or whatever it is that you name it uh, to, to reap the benefits. And that's not always the case. Now, other things in the physical category is actually the exact opposite, being sedentary. We know that this is problematic to the human body uh, and can be a stressor in its own right. And now, while that's not going to elicit, um, let's say, a stress response per se, but the the effect of sedentary behavior and then having to, you know, move and get up and go to another place could actually be that stress. So making sure that you are exercising on a regular basis, very important. Wow. Yeah, I see that. And then other things that are super important uh, in terms of physical stressors that we don't always remember is injuries. Injuries are stressors, right? Your body has to respond to uh, a change in, let's say, your ankle. You sprained your ankle. Or let's say you are sick, right? If you are sick, you are being uh, your body is trying to balance that out. So I'm sure we've all had the experience of when we're sick, um, we we don't function the same way. So that can actually be part of your stress system as well. And if you are that kind of person who kind of keeps going when they're sick, it ends up being harder to recover in the long run. Mm -hmm. Surgeries as well, the last physical one there. Uh, when you are undergoing surgery, that is also a stress on your system. The, the whole anticipation of that you're going in for surgery would be the stress. That's, yeah. that's the psychological part. Okay, okay. But the actual physical surgery is a stress on your system. So obviously minor surgeries, like if you're getting a hand surgery, probably wouldn't be as big of a stressor. But let's say you're getting back surgery or let's say you're getting knee surgery or heart surgery. That is a full-on stress to your system <laughs> uh, that some of us don't take into consideration. So we do need to allow ourselves to rest post-surgery, and which is why they give you, you know, the amount of weeks that it takes to recover because you're supposed to be allowing your system to, to relax and, and repair, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then the last category is the one that we spend most of our time in, which is the psychological category, the perceived stress, finances, not having enough money, not being able to pay bills, uh, relationship stress, right? Is he going to leave me? Is she going to leave me? Is this good? Is this bad? Are we being so on and so forth? Um, all of that kind of psychological stress is where we spend most of our time or let's say he should, she should, or ooh, he said, she said, mm -hmm. or someone doesn't respond to a text message or um, let's say you're hearing whispers about yourself at work or uh, you name it, that psychological stress of that our brain is just constantly running scenarios that don't even exist. Right? You know what I mean? That, that type of stress that we're, we're quite not, not even quite sure what it is, but we feel some sort of stress around it. And that's where most humans spend most of their time, right? especially in the Western world. We're like, I don't have enough time. Oh, I have too much time. Uh, and that's just perceived stress. It's not actually real, per se. Uh, it's just that our brain is constantly running scenarios, trying to figure it out. And we end up causing ourselves stress because of that. And even in a situation where we don't necessarily 
need to be worrying, we're worrying um, just because of the fear of the unknown, I guess. Or Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And our brains, as I keep mentioning, bless them, that, that ego part of your brain is just trying to keep you safe, right? It's running the scenarios of, oh, are we going to have enough money to pay this bill? Or, um, oh, someone didn't respond to my text message. Is she mad at me? All these different things where your brain is just running all of the scenarios to make sure that we have a game plan if something else happens. But the funny thing is, for the most part, many of the scenarios that we run aren't even relevant because they're not real. And yeah. the actual thing that's come through, like Sharon not responding to your text message, maybe she was looking. Maybe she had to do this. And for the most part, it's, it's not real in the first place. And even if she didn't respond to your text message and she's mad, what does that have to do with you? It's just one of those things that our brain keeps running and running and running. And it makes us tired and it adds to that kind of bucket theory of just putting more stress in the system. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm listening to you because I had that very scenario this morning. I was waiting for it. I sent a text and I didn't get a response. And I was like, what what happened? What did I do? Exactly that what you said. I totally relate to what you're saying. And we do it all the time. I yeah. do it as well. It's still something that I catch myself doing. Uh, and it's, it's just a, a practice to kind of take a step back and reflect before mm. your brain starts running all those scenarios. So we'll, we'll go through those tips and tricks uh, to finish off today's talk. Awesome. But first and foremost, I'd love uh, to kind of give you guys a couple of tips to determine what your response is. Because every single person will have their own response to stress. Um, obviously the actual physical changes inside the body are going to be very similar because we're all human beings, but we will have different things that come up for us. So being able to recognize the common things that happen in your stress response can be very useful and it'll come twofold. It will be a physical response and a mental response. So the physical response can show up as tension, headaches, fatigue, uh, poor appetite, increased appetite, uh, and more. Whereas the mental response will be anxiety, raising minds, trouble sleeping, mood changes, lack of concentration, and more. Okay. I do actually want to go back um, to these stressors for one last minute because I realized I skipped over nutrition okay. <laughs> uh, as a nutritionist. And the stressors in the environmental category of, of nutrition can be huge. So just to answer your question, Kathleen, um, this one is huge because of the effects of nutrition on the system. Now, obviously, it's going to be one part of, of the stressors that we experience on a regular basis, but it's one of the easiest ones we can control. So as we know, the food that we eat is meant to fuel our body. I mean, it's not just calories in, calories out. It's mm -hmm. the food that we eat should contain both macronutrients, so our protein, carbs, and fats, as well as our micronutrients, right? our vitamins and minerals, as well as our antioxidants and our essential fatty acids and all these different things. So that should be basically the fuel that's coming in to run our, or help us run our system. It's like making sure that you're taking care of your car and getting it the right gas and the right oil changes and adding all these things in. Without it, it's not going to run very well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm not sure if you've had this experience, but I remember when I was very young, I borrowed my dad's Mercedes and I put 80 something, 87 gas in it when it said it took 91. I'm like, this won't make a difference. Oh, wow. And I filled it up. Yeah, I filled it up. Don't, don't, tell, don't tell him this. I hope he never hears this. <laughs> um, but I filled it up and I remember driving it. All of a sudden the engine was like, mm. and I could hear it. And it's because I could put the wrong fuel in the car. <laughs> wow, yeah. And obviously I went back and put more of the, the 91 in there. The same thing kind of happens in our bodies where if we're not giving ourselves the, uh, the proper nutrition, this can itself be a stress on the system, like the Mercedes example. 
but this can also lead to long-term effects down the line. So with nutrition, if we are eating poor quality foods like um, refined sugars, packaged foods, things that contain lots of chemicals and additives or refined oils, that in itself is a stress on the body because we have to eat or we have to figure out what to do with these things. Right? So in the example of refined sugar, that's going to cause a pretty extreme blood sugar spike and that's going to cause a crash afterwards, which can cause a kind of um, roller coaster like reaction of having to eat more sugar and then crash and then eat more sugar. And a lot of people that I work with experience this when it comes to that afternoon fatigue that they experience. So they have a Tim Hortons coffee for breakfast and a muffin and then for lunch they have, you know, uh, let's say soup and a sandwich and then they finish it off with a cookie and then at three o'clock they can't figure out why they're so tired and they can't figure out why they're craving a Snickers bar. And it's because of the basically one lack of nutrients, but two, the sugar exposure that they keep going up and down and up and down with. Mm-hmm. And this itself can actually lead to a little bit of a of a stress response because of the increase in blood sugar. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge part of the nutrition factor and then the long-term effects of this as well. So if we're not providing our body with the necessary nutrients, both the macronutrients and the micronutrients to run all of our metabolic reactions, because fun fact, if you didn't know this, all the vitamins and minerals that you find in your food are actually involved in all of the kind of cogs in your machine. So to run all of your reactions like blinking and breathing and digestion and making energy inside your body, you need vitamins and minerals to do that. So over time with poor nutrition status, you can find that your body starts to run down and you don't have the same ability to uh, cope with stress or you don't have the same ability to you know, do the things that you like to do because you don't have the same amount of nutrients present. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huge. And that comes also into the immune response right. uh, and, and basically kind of lowering immune function when we have a lack of nutrients coming in as well. Okay. Good to know. Mm-hmm. So are there any particular foods, I guess like uh, the refined sugars definitely is something that we should uh, stay away from really mm-hmm. um, as a stressor, as it's a stressor, but are there any particular foods that are, that cause stress or is that based on individuals again? Once again, it would be based on individuals. Mm. It would be based on many different people, but uh, many different kind of factors, pardon me. But the the refined sugars are a huge one. If you're in a stressful situation, uh, you know, having a giant Slurpee is not going to be the wrong option or having a giant cup of coffee because caffeine is a stimulant. Uh, it will have negative effects there. So I'm looking to see if you are, you know, going through a period of stress, avoiding things like those refined sugars can be huge and refined um, we say refined sugars, but not everyone understands the fact that refined sugars are not just things like white sugar and, and drinking Slurpees and, and having a chocolate bar. That also is found in things like cookies and cakes and crackers and anything that's just like a white processed uh, flour, right? That is quick, quick, quick energy and our bodies have to deal with that quite quickly. So the refined sugars and refined carbohydrates are definitely things to avoid when you're um, kind of looking to help reduce your stress load from the environmental factor. Okay. So what are some of the uh, long-term impacts of stress then? Mm. So the long-term impacts on, with stress can be, it varies from person to person. Uh, and we'll go through different states. There's a lot of different theories about what happens as we go through these states. But to walk you guys through this, and I'm sure we've all had this experience, you experience a stress response, right? That one that I, I walked you through of a, a beating heart and a heart, um, your heart racing. Uh, you can't concentrate. Maybe you have a hard time sleeping that night. And the next morning you, you feel okay. 
think that's a normal stress response. But in the long term, let's say that tomorrow happens and something else happens and something else happens. And to keep going through that cycle, let's say you work two jobs, you're working nights and you're working days, or let's say you have a baby um, and you're constantly kind of on a different sleep and wake schedule, all these different things can add up. And so as we go through more and more days with more and more stress, uh, what can happen is you can end up kind of in this tired and wired stage where you don't quite feel normal mm-hmm. anymore. Right. And I'm sure we've had this experience. They kind of call it tired and wired. So tired you're tired mm-hmm. uh, on the inside. Yeah. And on the outside, you're kind of jittery. And sometimes people will notice that their hands are shaking and yeah. that they have a hard time sleeping because the actual, this comes down into your response. The mental response here is that you have a racing mind. You might have trouble sleeping. You might have trouble uh, concentrating. Uh, and then in terms of the physical response, there should be some tension there or maybe um, kind of like a veil is between you and the world. Does that make sense? Uh, because you're you're kind of in this, this weird um pseudo stress state or kind of like semi stress state all the time and, and you kind of feel like oh yeah I'm fine I'm fine but then if you were to kind of sink into it you realize that you're you're not quite normal at this point you, you feel a little bit just uh, over tired over anxious and a lot of people experience this when they have maybe two or three nights of bad sleep in a row if that makes sense yes yeah I, uh, I've experienced that definitely yeah yeah definitely and then over time because of the hormones that are happening or being excreted in this situation we're putting a lot of stress on our adrenal glands so we're secreting lots of stress hormones and over time our body is going to adapt because coming back to that uh, beginning part of allostasis and adaptation we adapt to our surroundings right so maybe even with covid this is a great example uh two weeks went by when we had our our lockdowns and you know with stress and a month went by and we all were experiencing this level of stress and then all of a sudden it's now normal now we see you know gates up in front of or kind of shields up in front of cashiers and it's it's normal we see masks so people wearing masks and it's normal and we now feel more relaxed in that state but when it first started to happen we didn't feel like that was a a normal thing we felt a little bit nervous and unsure whereas now that's become our new normal Mm -hmm. and the same thing happens in the body when as we are exposed to stress in that scenario uh, we adapt to it right so now that is considered to be our new normal okay gotcha Mm -hmm. and this can be both good and bad so a little bit of stress in your day fine but if you are being overexposed to to different types of stressors uh, the body will adapt and basically say okay well this is now our normal but underneath you're not actually fully in that normal so if anyone's ever worked two jobs or worked um night shifts or, or things like that, they'll notice that over a while they'll adapt to it. They won't feel the same level of exhaustion, uh, but they still won't feel 100% the same. But the body has to adapt. They can't stay in that fire fight state forever. So it tries to adjust and adapt to the new situation by saying, okay, we're fine. We're fine. This is, this is our normal now. Everything's okay. Whereas if we were to look at or tell ourselves, Back in to give back to the COVID analogy, if you were to say back in 2019, in you know July of 2020, this and this and this would be happening, you'd be like, that's not normal, right? And it, it's one of those things that the same thing happens in the body. So uh, after let's say years of working days and nights, or even months of working days and nights, your body adjusts to that, but it's still not what it, it, it wants to do or likes to do. And so uh, you kind of carry on in this new normal state for a while, but in terms of the body, it can't do that forever. And it basically will end up becoming quite tired and exhausted. So you'll find that wound healing definitely is impaired with long-term stress. Sleep also is impaired because of the stress hormones that are still being secreted. Um, Digestion can also be impaired. Some people will experience constipation. Some people will experience uh, diarrhea. 
and the immune system will start to disintegrate. So as people go through longer and longer exposures to stressful situations, they'll find that their immune system wears down. So they'll get sick more often. Uh, they won't be able to recover as fast if they do get sick. And, and these things can really come up when it comes to long-term stress exposure. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask if it has what sorts of impacts it has on your health. So you're mentioning that, uh, yeah. the immune system. What about um, maybe eventually cardiovascular uh, health yes. issues? That would definitely be affected as well because of uh, the stress response and elevated blood pressure. That plays a role there uh, as well as, interestingly enough, when people are in stressful situations and then you take their, um, if they go in for a blood panel, you'll find that they have elevated levels of uh, triglycerides. Mm-hmm. as well as elevated blood sugar. And that's because of the stress response that's going on. So uh, I've had actually clients come in after, let's say, a bout of, of anxiety and stress, or like a month long, and they have elevated levels of triglycerides and, and blood sugar, whereas they didn't have that before. So then they go in and um, they now look like they have maybe prediabetes, but it actually isn't that. And obviously, please do not diagnose yourself. Uh, but in um, these people's situations, once we look at the stress response and figure out how to get them back to baseline, that typically goes back down because it was actually a response to stress because in a stressful situation, your body is trying to give your cells as much energy potential as possible, which is why we see that increase in sugar and an increase in triglycerides in the blood. We're just trying to access energy, essentially. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there any particular, would you say there's one gender versus the other that is um, more susceptible to being stressed? Ooh, in terms of scientific information, uh, I don't know what the, what the, if there would be one over the other. I think men and women respond to stress differently mm-hmm, and it yeah. affects them in the long run in different ways. Uh, women are much more likely to talk about their problems than men are. So that can be a huge factor in terms of down the line. So when it comes down to uh, the response and back to the stress response there and the the mental response of anxiety or uh, emotions or wanting to cry or all those different things, females tend to talk about their problems a little bit more, which we know helps to reduce stress in many ways, right? Seeking counsel, um, talking with friends and family, that can help to dissipate stress stress and crying, right? That can be a huge thing there. Uh, whereas men tend to not do that. So you'll find that their stress comes out in different ways. And then in terms of the long-term effects, um, if if we're looking at people who kind of are staying in that anxious state, uh, that can obviously have long-term effects down the road. But for, for men who kind of, or women too, uh, because in, in society, I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about their emotions and say, you know, something is wrong. Uh, that can also have long-term effects down the road as well. And that can that can come up in a variety of different ways. So I think for both men and women, uh, the response to stress can be different. But it also comes down to family programming and family systems in terms of what you were told was, was good for you to do as a child. Okay. So what sort of um, tangible things can you tell us to help us uh, de-stress? What sort of things? Are there any exercises or anything that we can do with someone who's heavily uh, stressed all the time? Definitely. So there's a couple of things that we can talk about. Uh, and I've already, we'll go through the tips this way first, and then we'll, I'll finish it off with some foundations. But uh, the number one tip I can, I can suggest for you is to first and foremost, just take the time to identify the stressors that are in your life and and see what is useful for you and what is not. And you can make a list of this if you need to, but having a look at your stressors and seeing what is necessary and what isn't can be a useful tip. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to completely eliminate all background noise or all things like that, but having a look at that and seeing how much that's affecting you can be a useful tool. Right. And then with that in mind, being 
able to determine your stress response. So when you notice that you have tension in your shoulders or when you notice that you have a racing mind, then you can say, oh, what caused me stress during the day? So this is kind of like a nice way you can journal this. I do this with clients a lot where rather than just writing me a food log, I ask them to write me all of the experiences they've had in the day of like physical tension and anxiety and stress or all these different things as well because many people go through their days living outside their bodies or living in their brains all day long without actually checking in with the vessel that carries them throughout this world. Mm -hmm. And so it can be a useful tool to basically check in with yourself. And it's kind of like running, uh, I'll use the car analogy again. It's like running the test kit on your car to see if there's anything, any kind of problems that are coming up. So doing this for yourself and checking in to see uh, how stress makes you feel or, or what stress response you're having can also be a useful tool. And then another kind of tip before I get into the, the foundation is that with that in mind or when you start to feel stressed or maybe um, once you go through that list of, of your experiences, then it's up to you to determine what is real and what is not real. So that we call tangible versus intangible stress. So in that scenario where your brain is running over and over and over again, you can ask yourself, is this true? <laughs> and this comes actually from Byron, Byron Katie and once ever read her work. Um, you can ask yourself, is this true? So I know the situation to actually be true, right? So you're saying, oh, I'm racing home from work uh, because um, my husband didn't text me back and something's happening, right? Then you can say, oh, is this true? Do I know this is actually true? Uh, and you can kind of walk through these scenarios to determine whether or not something is a real stress or if it's actually intangible that your brain is just making up stories, mm-hmm. right? And this takes a lot of practice, mm-hmm. and especially for those who are experiencing, um, who have had trauma in the past, this does not work. That, I highly suggest going and finding a, a qualified psychiatrist or a psychologist or counselor to do to do with that because your brain actually dissociates in a different way in cases of PTSD and, and trauma. But for the average person, um, this is a useful tool. So just take a step back before your brain starts reacting and running all the scenarios to pause and say, oh, is this, is this a real stress? Yes, I almost got hit by a car. That was very stressful. Let me process that and then let me kind of feel that and then shake it off, right? Whereas an intangible stress of, you know, Sharon not texting you back or things like that is up to you to determine, "Eh, is that really, is that real? And who would I be or what would happen if I didn't have that thought right now? And you can kind of realize that that's not actually a tangible stress by any means. It's just your brain running exit strategy A, B, C, D, and and E. And then in terms of actual tangible tools that you can use, uh, these are great ones uh, in terms of getting into your body and looking at what's going on. But there are some tangible tools that you can do to help uh, just keep or support your system. I'm not going to say reduce stress, uh, but support the system to make sure that you are a strong, happy, healthy human body. Uh, you can do this in, by covering what we call the foundation. And there's four foundations. Number one is sleep. Mm-hmm. Right? Sleep. Yeah. And that's going to be helping yourself get a good night's sleep. And, and this uh, easier said than done, and I'm assuming some people are saying, but having a sleep hygiene routine, right? So setting uh, a routine that you do every night, it's the same way as how you drive home to your house. And sometimes you don't really remember how you got there. Uh, scary, but it happens. The same thing happens for sleep. So if you put a sleep routine in place, it's basically like putting your body on autopilot. So it recognizes that the steps of getting ready for bed are happening and the body starts to kind of relax and shut down. And so sleep hygiene uh, can be useful for that, as well as sleeping in dark rooms, sleeping with eye masks, sleeping um, at the same time every night, trying to get to bed before 10 if possible, 10.30. 
little things like that. And using sleep aids if necessary. I would obviously suggest natural ways over uh, prescription. Um, and that could be something that we could discuss at another day. But uh, finding what works for you could be useful. There are lots of herbs that you can work with uh, and, and supplements if necessary. But the sleep routine for many people can be very helpful. You talk about herbs. Chamomile is a popular one too, isn't it? Love it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, chamomile, fantastic. Lemon balm, fantastic. You can even uh, work with things like passion flower. Now, if you're taking any type of anti-anxiety, you cannot mix passion flower with that. Just be mindful. But there are tons of, of herbs that you can work with uh, and, and peas and, and, and things to kind of help relax you at the end of the night. What about lavender? We've been putting lavender, um, just drops of lavender in water in the room before mm-hmm. we go to, to sleep. Definitely. So lavender is a wonderful um it does help to relax people as well. Now, if you hate the scent of lavender, I find there's two camps. Either you love lavender right. or you hate lavender. Uh, that probably wouldn't be the one that you'd want to use before bed. So don't try and force yourself if mm-hmm. you don't like the scent of lavender. Uh, but it does activate kind of calming pathways in the brain. So it can be a useful um, scent if that is something that you enjoy. You can also make lavender teas, which are delicious. Okay. Mm. And then magnesium. I will put one more thing for sleep there. If uh, most, oh, not most, but magnesium is one of the most common mineral deficiencies in North America. We tend to uh, have low levels of magnesium. So supplementing with magnesium could be a useful tool as well. I remember this is years ago, the first time I took magnesium, uh, too much information, but I, I literally drooled. I was so <laughs> relaxed because the way that magnesium works uh, is that it relaxes your muscles. It doesn't relax your brain, right. but it relaxes your muscles. And if you guys just take a second, just, just run with me here. Just close your eyes for a second. And if you take a big breath in and a big breath out and just kind of get into your body and then ask yourself to unlock your jaw and take your tongue from the roof of your mouth and relax it and relax your shoulders from your ears down to their resting position, chances are some of you might have noticed that one of those things were being affected. And we hold stress in the body in so many different ways. And the way that magnesium works is to help relax skeletal muscle. And that sends signals to your brain saying, oh, you know, we're relaxed, right? Because when you hold tension like that or when you're breathing shallowly, that can keep you in that kind of semi-stress state. So magnesium can be a useful tool for people who experience uh, kind of physical tension in their bodies. That's mm-hmm. excellent. Yeah, no side note on magnesium, if you're taking the citrate form, it relaxes skeletal muscle and it can also relax smooth muscles. So uh, disaster pants if you do not um, kind of introduce it to yourself slowly, like a teaspoon at a time for magnesium citrate. So just side note on that form, but a super useful tool. Yeah, I have actually used magnesium myself too, and it is uh, very relaxing. I have to make sure I don't use it too, um, too early because I might end up feeling sleepy before I'm actually even ready to go to sleep. But yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's really good. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's, I highly recommend it. Okay, so let's sleep. And then there's three more foundations uh, to go over. Okay. Nutrition, huge. Um, and then I'm not sure if we have uh, enough time to do this, but I just, I'll make it pretty brief in terms sure. of, of summarizing these, these three last pillars yeah. for you guys, if that's okay with you. Yeah, go right ahead. Perfect. So nutrition, obviously huge. So being mindful of, of the types of refined sugars and refined flours and refined oils that cause stress. Right. Uh, if we're looking at refined oils, I could do a whole talk on this, uh, but they elicit an inflammatory response. So I'm talking about, you know, um, damaged vegetable fats and, and canola oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, or even uh, damaged fats that we find in like, things like margarine. Those 
are a stress on the system because they can in, in, induce inflammation and kind of um, go through pro-inflammatory pathways in the body. So that in itself is a stress, right? Plus the refined sugar that we talked about. So trying to lower your intake of those things and really eat real whole foods because of everything that I mentioned earlier on, the fact that they contain not just your energy potential in, in the form of protein, carbs, and fats, but because they contain vitamins and minerals that run all of your reactions. They keep your engine running, essentially. Okay. So making sure that you get those, great. There's so much that we could do in terms of nutrition, but it, it is individual. So I'm not going to talk about you know what diet is best because that's not going to be for every single person but what diet is best in terms of one generic thing we can say is that real whole food okay the macronutrient levels can change whether or not you're plant-based or you eat meat uh, all of that can change depending on the person but what we're looking at here is just eating uh, trying to offer real whole foods first right yeah and then the last two uh, would be movement and coping so with movement obviously we've mentioned that as well finding movement that works for you finding movement that's going to allow you to get the goals that you'd like, as well as understanding um, its tools to help keep you, you know, fluid and help keep your muscles happy and healthy and help keep your skeletal system happy and healthy because we know the effects of, uh, especially resistance training as you age, especially for women, very useful for helping to prevent osteoporosis, but uh, also understanding that it can be a, a, a stressor if you exercise too much. So finding movement that works for you, that you enjoy, uh, is useful for one the health benefits inside your body but two the mental aspect right a good workout leaves you happy it leaves you with tons of happy hormones that allows you to kind of go about your day yeah you definitely want to find an exercise that you enjoy or else chances of you not going back will be quite high if you're not enjoying it right Definitely. And the example I love to use is spin class. Like, I hate spin class. I will never go to a spin class. And someone else will be like, yeah, it's amazing. I feel so great after. I feel energized. I feel like I've released all this uh, kind of angst and, and, and anger. And I'm like, I would just, I would be so angry leaving a spin class. So mm-hmm. uh, that's not something that I would opt for. So finding something that works for you, right? right, that's going to allow you to continue to go as well as to give you the emotional response as well. And then the last one, which is the most complicated and the most intricate, and the one that we typically forget about uh, is kind of coping or um, kind of mental resilience. And this can come in many forms. This can come in in the form of spirituality, be it through a religious practice that you are uh, attending. So you can go through like prayer or um, meditation, depending on your Uh, kind of where you are in that realm. It also comes into that idea of looking at your tangible and intangible stress, so being mindful, being aware of your surroundings, and also your ability to process things, pause, and let them go, right? Understanding what is real, what isn't real, what we need um, to kind of keep in our brains and what we don't. That comes down into that, that kind of mental resilience and your ability to cope, right? Whether or not you're sweeping under the carpet and pretending it never happens or feeling it, feeling the emotion and then, you know, your ability to uh, thank that emotion for being there and then saying, I can integrate you or I can let you go. It doesn't have to be here anymore. So that's the big part with stress uh, that could take time for people to kind of come in tune to or kind of feel comfortable with. And I think that in this day and age, it's becoming more and more, uh, common for people to kind of look at this last pillar, right? We've, we've talked and we've seen a huge explosion of people talking about nutrition and people talking about sleep hygiene and people talking about um, the effects of exercise in the last you know, 20 years. But this this idea of 
mental resilience and your ability to cope is really coming to the forefront of health right now. And it's that last pillar, but it's 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 the most integral pillar for having you feel calm and having you uh, be able to work with that stress response in a way that's allowing you to kind of feel the effects of stress when it's good and then having you come back to baseline. So that last one, that ability for you to cope and that ability for you to feel safe and that ability for you to feel emotions and to feel stress and to feel anxiety or excitement or whatever it is and then let that go and go back to baseline or go about your day go to the next thing. Uh, that's the biggest part in terms of uh, working with your stress response. Great. Some excellent tips there. Really great mm-hmm. information. Um, before we just wrap up, one last question that I have for you and then you can, you know, if there's anything else that you wanted to add, you can go ahead. When should a person seek help if it's gone um, over and beyond of them being able to manage with their stress? Great question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a certain time. I think okay. it really depends on the individual and I think it depends on what, what they're looking for. So uh, if someone feels like they're overwhelmed in, in the nutritional realm, like in, in this aspect, there's, there's never too soon or too late to do that. Uh, in terms that they wanted, you know, support in, in nutritional realm from understanding how to to work with stress. Or let's say uh, they're having trouble sleeping and they're trying to process things. It's not too early or too late to go to go speak with someone in in the realm of, of counseling or say over a psychologist. I think um, being able to understand things and and speak to different clinicians and different professionals is is never yeah. There's never the the uh, I guess it's never too soon. Right. If you're talking with a counselor, there's always something to talk about. A lot of us have unprocessed things that have happened in our childhood or in our adulthood that we might not have actually kind of been able to realize. It's not always that you have to go in for trauma. You can talk about all sorts of things that you're having, you know, just questions or concerns about in life. Uh, when it comes to nutrition, there's never a right or wrong time. When it comes to exercising, there's never a right or wrong time. Right. So I think it just comes down into determining, um, do I want to put new tools in my toolbox? Are there things that I don't understand that someone else does uh, that I feel like I could benefit from if I went to, to go visit them? Okay, mm-hmm. excellent. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up now? No, I think that's it. I hope you guys found this useful. Yeah. I hope uh, through this talk that you're able to kind of just take a step back before reacting and responding to things to determine whether or not you know uh, this is good stress or bad stress. Uh, as well as determining your stress response and, and maybe having a look at what's on your plate on a daily basis, um, both physically, like in terms of like the food portion, but also what's on your plate in terms of what's on your agenda and asking yourself if it serves you. And I think COVID was a great example of this, where in uh, this kind of time off that a lot of people have had, it kind of brought to light the stressful lives that many people were living that they probably don't want to go back to. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. Working very long hours, uh, commuting an hour to work and getting stuck in traffic, all these different things that now after, you know, months and, and months of, of doing this for many people, we now realize, oh, I, I'm really relaxed. I'm yeah. sleeping better. I'm doing this. And it might be a little wake up call for people who are you know, willing to make that change and are willing to, to kind of sit down with that and, and, and learn that um, we need to... Um, there's a great quote about this, and I do believe, let me see if I can get it right. Uh, everything that no longer serves you fades away in the light of awareness. And oh, wow. I think that is Jan Teubler. I don't remember. But in terms of that quote, it just reminds you that when things aren't fitting anymore and when they don't serve you, they kind of 
you can recognize that it doesn't it doesn't fit you anymore. And I hope that this has been helpful for you guys to maybe have a look at some of those stressors that you might not need, like the um, you know loud office in your workplace. So loud noise in your workplace or, um, you know, the food that you might be eating that might be causing stress or maybe those late night movies that keep you up till 2 a.m. that maybe aren't serving you anymore to have a look at things that, that you might be able to let go of. Right. Definitely. Now, in your practice, um, do you see anyone like maybe nutritionally for stress related Definitely. issues? Yeah. Okay, so I just wanted you to be able to share about your practice where if someone wanted to get in touch with you, I'll definitely share the link, but Mm -hmm. um, you can go ahead and just, you know, share your service. For sure. And so in terms of the work that I do, uh, I work one-on-one with clients uh, in in the realm of kind of giving, giving my clients tips and tricks and tangible tools to make changes in their lives. And so in my practice, I see all sorts of different people. Uh, but my favorite is to work with people on the basics of nutrition as well as to help them kind of look at the the stress factors in their life and help them uh, cope with stress and and manage stress in different ways so uh, in terms of uh, working working with me is kind of like being in a mini nutrition class i I do teach nutrition um, to personal trainers and to future nutritionists and my goal always with clients is to give you tangible tools that you can use after we are done working together. So uh, much like the information that was shared today uh, kind of was touching on stress, it's always going to be something that would be kind of custom to you. And, and when it comes to working with individuals with stress, this type of information does apply, but it would then be done in a, a custom way, right? working with what is happening in your life right. to help you make long-lasting change. Well, Sydney, you've given us some excellent information to put in our own personal toolbox. And I thank you so much. And I'm just going to absorb and take in everything that you've shared here today and replay this podcast over and over because there's some really amazing information that you've given us today on how we can help manage our stress. Thank you. It was awesome to be here. And I hope you found this useful. Please, as Kathleen just mentioned, just go back and, and read through it and, and listen to it again, just simply because um, we, we tend to, to not always process everything the first time around. And so thank you for so much for having me here. It was awesome. Thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoy the topic and found something that you can apply to your own life. Don't forget to share this episode with your family and friends. And remember, live well daily. Thank you.